Welcome to Take Your Lead Podcast with Mzwandele Makakula, a podcast that seeks to empower you to take charge over your personal growth, development, as well as your emotional well-being. Welcome to Take Your Lead Podcast. I am super excited and honored that you would be part of a community of leaders who are intentional and purposeful about their growth. Thank you so much for your reviews and rating the content and for spreading the word to the leaders who actually listen to the content with their fellow colleagues and the teams that they lead. We really enjoy because we know that it adds value not only to you, but to those that you lead. Uh, A reminder again that the episode notes for today's episode are available uh, and you definitely need to go to www.mzwandilemakakula.com to download the episode notes, which will help you with application. I am extremely excited on this beautiful podcast episode to be joined by an impeccable, terrific leader, a sought after global speaker. Uh, Mike is not only an entrepreneur, writer and keynote speaker, but he hosts an amazing podcast, which is one of the leading podcasts in Africa within the business and digital space. And I'm so excited this beautiful episode to be joined and have a conversation about with him about building an impactful, digitally relevant leadership model. And just to pull from all the years of experience that he has. Thank you so much, Mike, for joining us on Take Your Lead podcast. Thank you, my friend, Jeepers. I feel very honored to be here. I need to package you and take that intro that you just did wherever I go from now on. I'll just, I'll just take the recording and replay it if that's okay. It's about the best intro I've ever had. So thank you very much. <laughs> thank you so much, man. I'm truly, truly, truly excited to have this conversation because I know it's going to add great value to our leadership community. Uh, but maybe to tee it off, because I know you're also an avid golfer, I'm not going to ask uh, what's your handicap uh, uh, lest I expose you uh, <laughs> or I put myself under pressure. <laughs> uh, maybe just to tee it off, maybe just to introduce yourself as to who you are and uh, maybe kindly tell us more about yourself to those who do not know you and some of the transitions that you've made in your leadership that have landed you where you are. Mm, sure. So, so thanks. I mean, it's always, um, it's always, I find it a little bit embarrassing telling the story because it doesn't feel that uh, special or remarkable to me, but um, I feel like I'm the luckiest person you've ever had on this show. Uh, but I, um, yeah, I, I was kind of an entrepreneur by mistake. Um, so therefore also sort of a leader by mistake. It was never really by design. Um uh, I found myself sort of in my mid-twenties immensely unhappy in the job that I was in. And I sort of arrogantly always assumed that I could do a better job than my bosses, um, which I soon discovered when I was the boss that it's harder than it seems. <laughs> um, but I, um, yeah, I think I, I grew up in a household that wasn't particularly entrepreneurial. So I didn't really have entrepreneurial role models, um, but very quickly learned once I was running my own business um, that a, it was an extraordinary privilege to do so, but B, that I just loved it. Like I loved crafting an offering. I loved building a team. I loved figuring out brand positioning and values. I loved selling what we did to customers. I even loved the tough stuff. I loved 
um, you know, the difficult meetings. I loved the conflict. I loved the, I loved solving problems. Um, I probably didn't like finance all that much. I'm not very good at reading, uh, reading financial statements. That was definitely a weakness, but, um, yeah, I, you know, I, um, I started a business called Cerebra in, in my mid twenties and, um, uh, the timing was good for that business and it, it, it grew, uh, well. And then, um, I sold that business in my, um, in my mid thirties to a company called WPP. Um, and I left the business at the end of, of, uh, 2018 and then took a sabbatical to do, um, to further my studies, um, which I really, really enjoyed and did some work around the area that you are an expert in and, and really knowledgeable around impact and purpose, uh, in a leadership capacity. And yeah, I am, am looking to transition now more uh, concertedly into the space of leadership development in a very disruptive and, and complex world. So yeah, that, that's kind of in a nutshell, that's sort of what I've been doing. I love that. I just want to pull two threads from your uh, mm. transitions and all the, your journey thus far. Um, the first one being that you said you didn't grow up in an entrepreneurial family, so you didn't have an entrepreneurial background. So how did you break out of the shell and the box where you've, you were not directly exposed to it? Or what happened that caused you to feel like, I can actually, there's more, um, especially you mentioned that you were working under your boss and you somewhat felt some type of way that I can actually do this. And what are some of those triggers <laughs> that pushed you out of your comfort zone? Yeah, it's, I, I mean, this is such a fascinating topic, right? Because what we're really talking about is sort of nature and nurture, right? Like the the circumstances we're born into and the uh, the things we're exposed to as we grow up. I mean, my dad was a very hardworking diesel mechanic by trade, and he worked his way up through the construction industry into sort of a, a management role. Um, but because of the nature of his work, it wasn't something we really spoke about around the dinner table. You know, I think by the time he got home from site or from the mine, he just didn't want to talk about work at all, you know? Um, and my mom was, a, um, a, a, is until very recently just retired a, a public school teacher, grade one teacher. So I saw more of her life and her work life and, and, to this day, I think I'm very like I'm very inspired by teachers and teaching, and I think it's part of my DNA. My aunt is a teacher, my mom is a teacher. Um, it's it's something that I, I a value highly as a skill, but b I think I've always kind of been a closet teacher, even in my entrepreneurial roles. You know, that, that was the part of the work I always enjoyed the most. But I think in 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 the the early part of my career, I was just like there's no other way to put it. I was desperately unhappy and, and very uncomfortable right. and uncomfortable because I had the sense that um, there were parts of my personality and parts of my skill set and parts of my, I guess like my passion that I wasn't exercising and wasn't um, able to kind of discover or explore. So if you ask me like why I became an entrepreneur, it's just, I was incredibly uncomfortable. It was a, it was a, <laughs> um, it was, yeah, it was a release mechanism. I just had to, and, and I'm really grateful that I succeeded because, well, I mean, relatively succeeded, but, um, you know, I, I, I'm just, I, I don't know where I would have landed up if I didn't, you know, probably very, very unhappy middle-aged white man, like, like sort of pretty, pretty tough that I had um, a, a great opportunity and a great network to support um, building uh, something that was of some value. Um, yeah. 
That's beautiful. I love how you mentioned that it was discomfort that caused you to really step out and uh, boldness, maybe speak to the role that courage had to play within your transition and decision-making, especially within the backdrop of leadership. Yeah, look, Zondile, I think, again, you've probably been very kind here because I think there's quite a fine line between courage and bravery and outright stupidity, right? Um, and I was definitely more on the side of stupidity and ignorance. But sometimes ignorance is bliss. Sometimes what you don't know can't hurt you. And, you know, when I speak to a lot of entrepreneurs, this seems to be a common denominator in, in many of their journeys is that, sometimes not knowing is an advantage because in a way it enables you to do um, to, to take steps that perhaps a more educated or more experienced person wouldn't do. And, and, you know, there's that wonderful saying that all progress in society depends on unreasonable people, you know, and I, and I would argue that maybe also kind of in some cases unqualified people, sometimes when we don't have the burden of thinking about things in a particular way, or we don't assume things. Um, sometimes we're able to achieve the remarkable or the extraordinary because of that. Um, and that's certainly not always true. Of course, you, you don't want a neurosurgeon that's <laughs> operating on you with no experience, right? Like this isn't, this doesn't apply to every space, but certainly in, in new industries and in new frontiers and in new innovations, it can be a strength because you aren't, my friend Richard Mulholland talks about you're not you're not you're not burdened with legacy. You're not kind of thinking about everything in the way everybody else always thought about it. Um, so that I mean that was certainly one part of it. But the early parts weren't easy and they weren't good. Like I didn't I, for about six months. I just I racked up a lot of debt and um, I felt pretty ashamed of not being able to make it a success. Um, and I, again, got very lucky at, like, at the right time with the right client. And that resulted in, in, you know, kind of the first legitimizing of the offering. And once you have one client, then it's easy because then the next client, you can tell that, uh, hey, this client's already paid for it. So that's big. Um, but yeah, I, again, you know, I, I, I'm the first person to admit that if it weren't for the support of family and it weren't for the power of networks in my life, I wouldn't have had that opportunity. And I'm aware that there's so many entrepreneurs out there that have amazing ideas, wonderful gifts and skills, but aren't part of a network, aren't part, uh, don't have a kind of a, a base of pri privilege to operate from. And privilege takes many different forms. Um, but sometimes just having a phone to pick up a, uh, and call somebody that you know in an industry or get a recommendation or a referral, you know? So I think one of the things that I did learn is that um, the, the most successful entrepreneurs and leaders in, in my life weren't, weren't afraid to ask. And, and not just ask for help, but ask questions and ask for connections and ask for, I, I mean, I love the way that we connected randomly because I think I was hosting a, a conversation between, I, I was actually kind of, a, I guess, for all intents and purposes, an MC on a call, but there was an immediate chemistry between you and I. And what did you do? You asked, right? Like a lot of people would assume, ah, maybe he's busy or maybe whatever, you know, um, the most interesting person, people in the world right now, the people that are asking, wow. asking, and you, you'll receive, you'll, you're like, you'll be surprised at what you'll get if you ask for it. Um, and I think, and I don't mean in an ethereal or supernatural sense, I mean, just like in a literal sense, like just 
send out a hundred emails and maybe three of them will work, but you know, like, um, life's too short not to ask, you know, wow. uh, podcast family. Um, this is just pure gold. The past two minutes, uh, I encourage you to just pause and rewind and Mike just shared strong nuggets right there about asking and, and which is the, actually the next question I was going to ask him, pun intended, as to maybe two young leaders and entrepreneurs who want to start, uh, where do they start? Because I think one of the things, and there's an amazing uh, recent newsletter you sent out where you were talking about starting and narrating your story of fishing and how you had your fly ready, but it was still in the boat and, and, and how you can never catch a fish if uh, it's not in the water. And I think a lot of uh, entrepreneurs find themselves in a place where they've got amazing ideas. They want to change the world. They want to impact society and do all these great things, but they're not too sure how to start. In fact, I think the complexity of how big it is scares them and they end up not doing anything at all. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a point that I'm really passionate about. And again, I want to acknowledge that this might not be true for everyone and it might not be true for every industry. So I don't want to pretend that I have a one-size-fits-all cookie-cutter solution to how to start a business. A absolutely not. Yeah. But I do think that a lot of the business books and the, the business manuals, you know, the stuff that's taught to us in, in kind of high school or university contexts are written by people in established economies, in very mature economies. And in a very mature economy, there are generally carved out spaces for entrepreneurs and for businesses and for styles of businesses. And there's established and mature funding mechanisms, whether it's the bank or venture capital, or, you know, kind of whatever it might be. And, you know, everybody says you must have a distinct plan and you, you need a, a 12 page out business outline and you need your financials and uh, fair enough in a very mature economy, that's often the case, but, we, we, we live in a crazy awesome place. <laughs> we live in a place where the most, the most rewarded characteristics of entrepreneurs are tenacity and yeah. perseverance and experimentation and the ability to get punched seven times in the face and still get up the eighth time. Those are the, your grit is, those are the things that if I was writing a business book for entrepreneurs in South Africa, I'd write, those are the things you need maybe even before, because sometimes we spend all that time on a business plan and all that time trying to find the right funding from the right, but, and actually, if you just started the thing and tested a small version of it, like it would have been, you know, a, a gen gentleman that I was supposed to interview a couple of weeks ago and actually canceled on him and I have to pick up with him again, but a gentleman that started a mobile car wash business, um, Robert, I think his surname is Mshali, a great entrepreneurial story, Moby Wash, I think is the, is the app, and like a classic example of just start. Mm. You, you get in your own car with mm. your own cleaning equipment and go and wash a person's car and get a sense of what that experience is like and then wash another car and learn from that and then hire a person who can. But he scaled from the manual process of being the person in his own car washing everybody else's cars and realized this sucks. Like it's hard to make money this way. So I need to get smarter about it and I need to improve this or I need to change that or I need to get economies of scale here or I need to get my clients to market for me there. Before long, you have an amazing business, right? Um, and even he was saying, I look back and I can't remember when it was tough because now it feels like it's obvious, you know? Um, but, you know, if I consider our context and how complex it is and how... 
um, how many variables there are to consider in terms of who gets the right opportunity and when and how. The, it's a double-edged sword because as tough as that is, that also means that there is this absolute wealth of opportunity for people with the right attitudes uh, and the right kind of, like I said, tenacity and perseverance. And that's not a, it's not a guarantee of success, but it is a really highly correlated enabler of, of success. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's one of the things that I guess I would, uh, and again, that's not true for everyone. Um, you know, if you're going to go look for funding from a bank for earth moving equipment, you probably want to go with a plan, right? Um, that's, um, yeah, cause that, that, that's the kind of mature system that's going to reward that sort of preparation. But for many of us, you know, like sometimes you just have to start and, done is always better than perfect right um so rather get a 60 percent version of it live than a perfect version of it that's not live you know i love that i love that um i just want to borrow one word which you mentioned especially within the backdrop of 2020 which was a interesting year a lot that we can say in fact maybe to put you on the spot if you were to define 2020 in one word how would you define it can I use two words? Can I say shit show? Uh, um, uh, no, I think the word I will use, and, and I, it's interesting because I had a, a wonderful coffee this morning with a, a real kind of uh, champion of industry um, uh, talking about this very thing. And, and, and the word I would probably use is reframe, right? Um, 2020 is, um, has given us an opportunity to rethink the things we really think are important. Um, and I mean across the board, whether you're a, a CEO of a big business that thinks you're immune to thinking about the societies you operate in as systems and interdependent networks of connected people, all the way through to me reconsidering whether it's more important for me to be doing a talk today or making pancakes for my toddler. Like, I think we've all been offered an opportunity in extraordinary circumstances to reevaluate our priorities and the things that are important to us. Now, I'm aware, I'm saying this from the position of extraordinary privilege. I get to sit there on my couch in my secure complex going, hmm, I really need to rethink my priorities where like a whole lot of people are just trying to find their next meal. Like I, I completely understand and appreciate um, the position that I'm operating from. And, and for many people, just the privilege of even being able to think about the situation is a privilege. Um, but I do think that, I, I, well, I, my hope, uh, my sincere hope is that, especially from a business perspective, that we are thinking about creating value and creating businesses in slightly different ways off the back of this experience. Uh, acknowledging that like if, you know, if we fail to create value in broader communities around us and those communities fail, then our businesses fail as well. Yeah. Uh, nobody wants to be a rich person in a failed state. Like that doesn't make any sense. Right. So um, I think it really, it's forced us to think about South Africa in a much broader context. You, you lose the, um, you very quickly lose the ability to assume that you're the only person that matters and your family are the only person that matters, or your business is the only business that matters, you very quickly are uh, reminded that you're part of a, a system. And if that system fails, everybody fails. You know? So what is, 
What is my responsibility in the system? That's beautiful. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for that. The word I wanted you to speak to within that backdrop is resilience, because I think one of, especially to entrepreneurs, and you spoke about the soft skills that are necessary beyond the business plan, et cetera, et cetera. But I think resilience is one of the things that every entrepreneur needs if they're going to be successful. And, and how does it look for an entrepreneur who's starting for them to be resilient even when things are not seemingly coming together? Yeah, look, I mean, uh, I want to say right up front that there's potential hypocrisy in my answer here because I'm not always resilient myself. Sometimes I also feel like crumbling up in a ball and wrapping myself in a blanket and cuddling my dash in the morning because, you know, things just seem a bit overwhelming. But um, so I think in, in, in any normal period, I mean, obviously this has been a slightly abnormal period, but in any normal period, I think resilience comes down to a couple of things. Number one, um, being able to control or moderate the feedback that you get um, from external sources when it comes to what you believe you should be doing or achieving or working towards. Now, what do I mean by that? Is that every entrepreneur needs some sort of a direction that they're operating in. Some of us call that vision. Some of us call that purpose. But essentially, we're talking about a vector. We're talking about something that kind of pushes you in a, a specific direction. If your whole life is spent worrying about what other people think about that and whether they're happy and whether everybody agrees or thinks you're cool or whatever else, you're going to be very unhappy. Like if you're not making somebody unhappy, you're probably not doing a good job. Like you, you, you know, if you're not, if you're not upsetting at least a few people. Um, it, but I think one of the fastest ways to failure is to try and make everybody happy all of the time. Right. It, Unfortunately, you kind of need to pick which audience is is gonna is gonna not like what you do, but that's okay. Like um, you know, if you have a good work life balance and you're healthy and your family's healthy, then it doesn't really matter if you upset a few people on on the on the route, as long as you're sticking to that vector. Um, so I think that's the first thing is trying to make people happy all of the time is is you know cho choosing to to be very careful about which feedback you take is, a, is an ingredient of resilience. I think another ingredient of resilience is treating failure or mistakes as lessons, right? So instead of getting defeatist and going, I'm useless and I can't do this, going, what is there in this moment for me to learn? What, what, what can I, what lesson can I impart on myself? What, you know, that's the second thing. Another, I think, a critical component of resilient leaders is the ability to question their own beliefs and assumptions about the world. Like if you're not going to be, if you're going to be stubborn and uh, narrow minded and you, if you're going to only have one view about something and not allow any evidence to change your mind, you're going to have a pretty unpleasant life in the world we're in at the moment, right? It's just too complicated. It's too diverse. It's too multifaceted. It's too nuanced to have a simple view of the world. And I think your ability as a leader to kind of hold things in balance and to manage conflict in terms of your own ideologies and beliefs, that's a really powerful way to maintain resilience and to create kind of mental shock absorbers for, you know, and then I think the last thing is just, um, is, is being willing to lean on people for support. You know, there's this, really strange 
narrative around entrepreneurs that they're these like champions who are like never go through tough times and have like you know the pictures on instagram of the fancy car and the one and that's bull like it, for me the definition of an entrepreneur is somebody who takes full accountability for creating value wow. that's that's what an entrepreneur is right? um and and that means that you pay a price. It's hard. It's really, really difficult. Like it's got nothing to do with how much money you make or whatever. It means that you, you're willing to, you, the buck stops with you in terms of whatever value it is that you're trying to create. And I think that like entrepreneurs think that in the process of doing so, they can't, they can't rely on other people. They can't phone up a friend and go, I'm really struggling. Um, or, or lean on advice or support or there's a sense that they have to kind of just know what to do all the time. And that's just not true. Like um, it's a very, very lonely job. Um, and you need to make sure that you have the right support systems in place to, to, to be resilient. You know? Brilliant. Podcast family, again, the past three minutes or so, pure gold. Um, I just love your philosophy of leadership and how, you make it so practical and so applicable. Uh, it's just amazing. Thank you so much for, 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 for sharing that. Um, it's adding great value to me. I'm trying to catch up, taking notes. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, maybe to, 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 to your current space where you're at now, uh, maybe what are you currently learning? Um, I'm not going to um, preempt you, but I know that you recently cut a long-standing relationship that you had for some time. Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe just to oh, my, I source a little social media. <laughs> so Zandil is referring to uh, I, I decided to invest in a little bit of clickbait uh, and uh, yeah I posted an update that I'd ended a relationship for 13 years but I was actually just talking about Facebook so it's not that big a deal um, but I think uh, yeah I think you know I've just turned 40 um it's been a strange year kind of for everyone i i i think i think what i'm learning at the moment um Swadil, is that is that action really matters and that a lot of what i've spent the last you know kind of 20 years doing is is creating the platform for real action. Um, and, you know, I think a lot now about things like legacy and things like, like, how do you want people to talk about you when you're not here? You know, what, what words do you want people to remember you by or what actions? You, and I, so I'm thinking a lot about legacy, um, especially in a context like this year. And um, yeah, I just think like, there's just so much room for impact. There's so much room for, significant social uh change and i know everybody talks about it so i'm even as i'm saying it i'm weary about like it just sounds so like yeah. but like I, I i don't know how to think about creating a new business or a new venture or new partnerships if that's not a part of it if, if you're not doing that specifically in south africa right now i mean like Talk about a place that has that is ripe for opportunity and ripe for intervention and ripe for value creation. Like, like this place is like the most fertile fertile ground in the world for this kind of work, right? If you if you're not thinking about that in this context, then I don't know what you're doing, you know. Um, 
so yeah, I, I just, I th- I'm thinking a lot about that. Um, and I, I think I'm learning also quite a lot about like myself and how I work and what I'm motivated by. And not all of those are nice lessons. Um, you, one, one discovers quite quickly the role that ego and that kind of thing play in, in you know, the, the leaders uh, in, the, in the entrepreneur's framework. But I'm trying to be a little bit more deliberate about that and, and understand more my own personal drivers and triggers and, and use them more more constructively towards, you know, kind of the, the, the sort of work that I want to be doing as opposed to wasted time or energy. Yeah. yeah. I know it's Sorry, a, that was a really flimsy answer. No, no, it's, like, it's actually not. It's, it's, it's together. It's, it's really together. And, and I know you're still processing it and navigating your way through it. Um, and I heard you mention the word significance. And maybe when you've discovered it, we'll talk more as to how does the one then move from living a life of success to a life of significance? Because I think this is the transition within legacy where you want to add value to others, add value to the country, to society, to communities. And, and, and I think this is the crux of leadership where the focus moves from me, myself and I, but to how can I add value to Mike? How can I add value to what Mike is doing as he continues to add value to the people within his sphere of influence? Yeah, look, I think I used to be very like militant about this, like the success versus significance thing. And it was deeply inspired by a mentor of mine when I was much younger who asked me this question once, do you want to be successful or do you want to be significant? So I spent a lot of time thinking about the semantics of those two things. But I, like, I think, I think what I've learned is that there are a lot of people out there that achieve a level of significance, certainly by, by in terms of kind of, other people's definition of what success looks like who are in and of themselves deeply unsatisfied or deeply unhappy or, and this is going to sound like a little bit selfish or a little self-serving. Like I want to be happy. (laughs) 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 I want to be, I want to be super happy. And I've realized that the things that make me happy are, I, I like being in charge of my own time, which means that I like being able to, if I want to wake up in the morning and go, I just don't feel like doing anything today, I can do that. And that, that is, that's extraordinarily valuable to me. Right. Um, I like creating things. I like working with people who like creating things. I like having difficult conversations. I like, these are the things that make me happy. So, so for me, like I've realized that I can be as successful as I want to be or as rich as I want to be. If I'm not happy, like it kind of, all it is is sort of a poster, you know? Um, and so I'm, I'm more interested right now in what, what I'm finding really fulfilling and enriching because I know that the best version of me, the most impactful version of me yeah. is the happiest and most fulfilled and healthiest version of me. So if I want to be impactful and I want to, I can do that, but it comes at a massive cost. Yeah. If I'm not, um, and you know, I, so I need my view on the world, my philosophy on life is that I don't get another chance at this. Like, this is my one go. Like, I don't believe that I'm going to be reincarnated as a caterpillar or that I have some eternal destiny beyond this. I don't believe that. I believe that this is it. Yeah. This, there's no dress rehearsal. This is my one go at this. Yeah. So live the hell out of it, right? Yeah. Like, live balls to the wall. Let's go. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, that helps me, I think, focus more on being very present and thinking about the things that enable me to be as impactful as possible. And one of the big things that does that is, is making sure that I'm 
uh, fulfilled. And that means generally it's not about stuff. Yeah. It's not about where I live. Yeah. It's not about the home I'm in. Like none of those things actually become material. It's more kind of, am I fulfilled? You know? Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, there's something you mentioned, uh, I think twice in conversation within your lab, uh, which is quite strange, which is conflict resolution and having tough conversations. And I just want you to just speak a bit around that within the space of leadership, because I think uh, part of leadership is having tough conversations. It's the most underrated part of it. Uh, I, I, if you, if you could pay me to have arguments all day long, I would like, but I'm, I mean, I mean, debates, I mean, rigorous, difficult, um, robust debate, not fighting like people do on Twitter where your people are like this, your people are like this, your, you know, yeah. uh, my rabbit guard, my duck guard, my rabbit guard. Uh, none of that is useful. That, all that does is push us further into our corners. But when you and I, who are two people that respect each other deeply and uh, admire each other's views of the world, can find something we disagree on and have a tough conversation about it yeah. and come out of it and still respect each other, you know what happens then? We build societies. We build. A, we build a world like that's how. That's democracy, right? Like that's how it's supposed to work. Democracy is not us all agreeing with each other. It's us being able to find our common ground and respect each other's differences and build societies that are constructive and and that value people and that value people's contributions. And we have entirely lost the ability to debate wow. and have tough conversations and and have difficult discussions and i i mean i want to i want to tackle all those all those topics that are the hardest to tackle i want to get into them let's talk about colonialization let's talk about apartheid let's talk about racism and our inherent biases let's let's get into that stuff because our refusal to acknowledge the nuance in these circumstances pushes us all further into our own fear corners yeah. Right, like yeah. into the darkness, and you know what happens in the darkness? Nothing. Nothing happens there. Yeah. Nobody gets anywhere. So we, we need to be. I, I just think like we've lost the ability to be to separate people's ideas from the people. Wow. We've lost the. I mean, I I have people in my life who I love dearly, whose ideas I hate. Yeah. Oh my God, their ideas are terrible. <laughs> love them as people. And I have people whose ideas I love, who I hate. They're terrible people, but they still have amazing ideas. And I'm able to, to do both of those things. Like that's a leader must be able to do that. And, and to be able to listen to somebody's ideas without making a character judgment on that person. You know? um, I think these are tough things that we're going to have to learn to do if we're going to fix what's wrong. We've got some major, major problems in society. And we don't learn how to do this better more constructively man i really worry about like what's going to happen in the next couple of years i really do yeah i think you spoke to the next question i was going to ask you i've seen mike how you connect with crowds uh, around the world different stages how you just work it and how you connect with people from different walks of life uh it's so amazing to really uh, and so inspiring to see how meticulous you are in connecting uh, with people. And you spoke a bit to that in what you were just saying now, 
And I just wanted to ask you as to what, how do you do it? How, how do you, how do you connect so well with people from different ethnic groups, uh, people from with different preferences and different beliefs, and yet you're able to connect and the importance of that in the life of a leader? Yeah, so I mean, so it's, it's, I mean, it's important for me to qualify here that this was not always my way of being. <laughs> like, um, I grew up in a very conservative household, a very small world of kind of Benoni in the East Rand of Johannesburg, not the most forward-thinking or progressive town in the world, right? Um, and um, I've had to unlearn a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that I held to be very true and very precious and very important to my worldview. And it's difficult to do that. It's actually, it's, it's physically painful, it's traumatic to unbelieve your core beliefs, the things that you believe to be most true about the world, which incidentally are, are what we inherit from our parents mostly, right? Or the context that the cultural context that we're in. But I think I'd like, the more I learn, the less I realize I know. Mm. And because I'm an inherently curious person, I like, I'm, I want to find out more stuff. And the only way I can do that is to connect with people who are different to me. And the only way I could do that is to find people that have different ideas to mine. And most people just want to be heard. Most people just want to, um, they want to be able to express an opinion or an idea and not have, not be called like evil or dumb or you know, left wing or right wing or fascist or socialist or whatever it might be just for expressing. Uh, and, I, and I think I mean, certainly we've got to be careful here because maybe there's some ideas that are so destructive that they shouldn't be entertained. And this is where we can, you know, get into quite a deep discussion around the nature of free speech and free expression and what should be free and what shouldn't. And I mean, obviously that's a, a whole nother kettle of fish we could open, but uh, we won't do that now. But um the the point I think is is like I I'm 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 curious, but I'm not curious because I think I have to be. I'm curious because I genuinely am curious. Um, it's not like oh I really need to pretend to be interested in these people. I'm like I want to know like what makes you tick. Like what's interesting to you? What what's what what is your worldview? How is it different to mine? And what are the reasons for that? And what could I learn about my worldview from yours? You know. Like, I just think that that's the most interesting way to live. Wow. That's beautiful. That's beautiful, Mike. Maybe as we bring in our plane for, for, for landing, uh, leadership is, if you were to fill in the blank, uh, leadership is, uh, what one word uh, would leadership be to you? Accountability. Wow. Yeah. I think that's it for me. I think that's, wow. leadership is, uh, is being prepared to be it's it's you're where the buck stops that's what it is like that leadership is we used to have a saying in cerebra in the business that i used to run we used to say that shit flows uphill right like <laughs> leadership comes with amazing perks you get the nice salary you get the lack of markets well but you like the buck stops with you when somebody in your organization in the junior levels or the lower tiers, when they make a mistake, that's not their problem. That's a management or enablement or education problem. You didn't do your job, right? Like if, if, wow. if something happens that somebody wasn't empowered to do a better job, that's my problem, not their problem, right? Mm -hmm. Like 
leadership is not the privilege of you know abstaining responsibility it's the privilege of having responsibility it's it's being accountable um and if you look at the leaders that we've got in the world at the moment as role models it's exactly the opposite of that we started to believe that that leadership is having the power never to be responsible it's exact it's the exact opposite of that i love that I love that. I love that. Maybe your to your parting thoughts, but before your parting thoughts, anything exciting that you're currently working on? Uh, any passion projects that you are currently busy with? Yeah, so there's hopefully there'll be a nice announcement this month of a little project I'm working on with a colleague in the in the PR space, which is should be a little uh, an interesting little business idea. And then Beyond Binary is evolving. Uh, it's my sort of consulting project and um, looking to launch some new programs pretty soon and into 2021 um so look out for that um yeah parting thoughts i just i'm aware that there are probably a lot of people that are watching this that are feeling cuck like there's no other way to put it this has been just a really tough year and a lot of people have taken a massive emotional knock and like i've had some pretty dark and awful moments and i lead this amazing privileged life right like I can only imagine how tough it's been for some people. And I guess what I wanted to say is just like, take heart there. You know, there are people that care about you. There are opportunities that are available. Um, I want to encourage you to persevere, to take that, you know, just get up again. Like even if you're getting punched for the seven times, get, get up again. Uh, it will, it will come to pass. It, like it will, it will get better. It really does. Um, and I just, yeah, I'm aware that there are a lot of people that are probably taking a lot of strain, but there, there are, there is light. Uh, so take heat, yeah. That's beautiful. That's brilliant. Thank you so much, uh, Mike. Um, where can our podcast family, uh, Thanks for the where, where, where can they connect with you and be able to be part of all the amazing things that you're doing? Uh, a best place is probably my website, mikestarforth.com. Uh, but then obviously uh, I make a lot of noise on Twitter as well. Uh, and I'm on LinkedIn. And so, yeah, so any of those is, is a good place, I guess, to, to connect. And then there's links to the podcast on all of those platforms. So that's a nice place to sort of connect with content and conversations that I'm having with really interesting people. So, yeah. Thank you so much. Um, this was amazing. Uh, thank you so much for taking time and adding value to me and to our podcast family. I really appreciate you and to our podcast listeners as well. Thank you so much for being part of this episode. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mike. Uh, this was really, 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 really good. Thank you, dude. I mean, like on behalf of all your listeners, thanks for putting this together. Right? Like this is, uh, this is magic stuff. So thanks for being uh, uh, brave and resilient and courageous and uh, tenacious enough to put these kinds of things together it's, it's a massive gift to to everybody thank you so much um podcast family thank you once again for being part of the episode to download the episode notes the link will be in the bio or head over to www.zwandilamakakula.com it will help you with application especially after all the amazing uh, incredible things that mark has mike has shared with us you'll be able to receive the transcribed episode notes till we meet again continue to take your lead as we change the world one individual at a time well thank you for joining us on take your lead podcast 
be sure to subscribe so you can get new episodes delivered directly to your device as soon as we release the new episode. And for show notes on today's episode and on previous episodes, just go to www.mzwandilemakakula.com. And if you are a fan of the show, we would love it if you'd give us a review and help us spread the word. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Take Your Lead Podcast.